This episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you who donated $1 a month through Craft Sanity's Patreon page. Learn more at CraftSanity.com. Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast, an interview show all about art, craft, and creativity. Well, if you couldn't express yourself... How would you de-stress yourself? And if you couldn't make and build and sing And knit and paint and dance and spin Would you go crazy? Well, if you're going crazy Here's something amazing To help you keep it together One, two, three Craft sanity, craft sanity Hello and welcome to episode 199. On this episode, I'm going to bring you a story about someone who's in my neck of the woods. Her name is Heidi Fehrenbacher, and she is a potter in this West Michigan area. She works out of an old veterinary clinic turned clay studio just outside of Plainwell, Michigan. It's there that she creates this whimsical line of goods called Bella Joy Pottery. To produce her unique collection that includes everything from functional mugs, tumblers, vases, hanging planners, and so much more, Fehrenbacher created original designs on a potter's wheel, and then she fabricated plaster molds, and then she uses those molds to recreate her originals using liquid porcelain. I recently got a chance to visit her studio, and it's really cool how she has everything flowing, like a room dedicated to each part of this process. You can also check out Bellajoy Pottery online. I'll have links on the website so you can check that out. And before we get started with the interview, I would love to thank my podcast supporters, uh, the Patreon sponsors. Thanks so much to those of you who keep contributing to keep this show going. I really appreciate it. All right, so let's get to that conversation with Heidi. Grab a drink and a project and let's get to it. So tell me a little bit about Bellajoy Pottery. Bella Joy Pottery is a small micro business where I create handmade porcelain pottery. And right now it's being made in a former veterinarian clinic outside of Plainwell, Michigan. My process is I actually make plaster molds and then I use liquid clay to fabricate each piece. So each piece is still handmade. It's just a different process. Um, it's less wear and tear on your body. So is that like a, a porcelain um, that you're pouring? Yep. But when you started, did you used to throw all the pots and mugs and everything on the wheel? Is that how I you did? Used? Okay. And then just have tried to make it a way that you could actually, as you said, uh, without breaking down your body, continue your business. <laughs> but yeah, I fell and I hurt myself. Oh, no. <laughs> Pretty bad. Yeah. And I had to have hip surgery in 2013. And so the recovery time, I couldn't, I wasn't allowed to walk for oh, about Oh, goodness. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I couldn't sit at a 90 degree angle for a while, which you really need um, throwing. Oh, yeah. Uh, absolutely. That, yeah. And at that time, I'd actually taught myself how to throw standing up, but I couldn't put weight on my leg either. Oh, geez. <laughs> I really, it was kind of one of those, it was a turning point. I mean, I could have hired someone to throw for me, but 
I really like making things, you know, myself. So I was like, well, I'll try this slip casting because I knew a lot of people had done that. And people had actually suggested that to me because they said, you know, your your body's going to wear down. And, you know, in your late 20s, you're like, no, it's not. I'm fine. But now looking back, I'm really glad I switched. So were you actually able to do that when you were still recovering? Did you, or did you just rest during that time? Or were you still trying to? Oh, no, I, out... no, I, no, I told, no, I did not rest at all. <laughs> oh my God. I should have. It sounds like the way I, I would have done it too. Back... I never rest. It's terrible. No, I went back to, I had, I remember I had surgery on a Wednesday and my nephew was helping me and I said, well, we'll see how it goes. We might work on Thursday. And he was oh, like, no. okay. Oh my word. I know I did not go back to work on Thursday. I, I went back to work that following Monday, but, but I still, couldn't that's work really fast. No, it's not. It's not healthy. No one, anyone listening to this, do not do that. Yeah, I was gonna say because that's like a ma- that's major no. surgery, and you can't really move without using your hip. Yeah. So basically, my nephew and I made all the molds the first time, and I would just sit there, and he would help me. He was, I think, eighteen at the time. And he's very artistic and very detail-oriented. So it worked out really well. He really helped me a lot. It was funny, though, because, you know, that's how I was making a living. And then all of a sudden, it was like being thrown into beginner mode again. And so I was like, oh, geez. Um." (laughs) Right. You still have bills to pay and everything. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And I was trying to heal. And it was very stressful. It sounds like that challenge, though, going through all that while it was probably pretty miserable as you're going through it. It sounds like that pointed your business in a slightly different direction that is actually working for you quite well right now. Yeah, it it is because everything's still handmade, but it's less labor intensive. So like now there's not as much pressure if I want to take time off or if I get sick. So that's nice. It's not so heavily dependent on my health. Can you work a little bit faster? too if you're not if you're pouring. oh my gosh yeah. can i yeah yeah i can just imagine i've never thrown a pot i've made a really bad i've made some seriously bad coil pots and pinch pots and i've never tried a wheel yet i that's on my list my bucket list let's tell the folks at home uh those who may not be familiar with uh with your work yet or they're not following bella joy pottery on instagram yet uh <laughs> those who need a little overview tell us what you make So I make functional pottery, primarily functional pottery. I always say that because in case I want to make something sculptural. Right. I'm not boxed in. Leave the door open. (laughs) Yep. So I really try to use colors as a way to express emotions. Bella joy, beautiful joy. I really try to emphasize taking time to enjoy the small things in life just like drinking a cup of coffee or eating a donut. And, you know, I think a lot of times people think porcelain, well, you know, that's like your grandma's china. It's only for special occasions, but I really want people to use it every day because every day is special. And I really try and use my work as a way to promote that every day special. That's great. That's a great philosophy. So people can get, I've seen some uh, unicorn mugs popping up in your feed oh yeah that are very fun <laughs> yeah those are new oh i see a lot of mugs i see these great planners that hang hanging planners which are s- super fun it looks like are you dipping when you for your technique of getting your glaze on are you dipping or painting because i i love the two-tone like ombre you have going with some of your work that's 
Really beautiful. Thank you. So, yeah, those are all dipped. And then the solid colors are also just dipped. And then sometimes I still do limited edition runs. And a lot of times, like, I'll hand paint the glaze. Because that's what I used to do. It's hard to make a living and still do all those more um, intricate techniques. So I usually do, like, limited edition runs of those sort of things. Now, another thing I'm noticing about your work is that you have a lot of, um, looks like some line drawings now, are those decals or are you drawing on each item or how are you putting your kind of the handmade touch on it? The fine lines. Um, I tried. <laughs> I tried doing a decal. It didn't look right. So what those are, those are a technique called uh, Mishima. And it's a Korean term for uh, inlay. And so how you do that is you take a piece of clay while it's still wet and you paint. This is just one of the ways. There's some other ways. I paint wax on the piece, and then you let the wax set up a little. It's just liquid wax. And then you take an X-Acto blade, and you actually carve those lines into the wax. Okay. Then you let the piece dry. I know. It's, it's, <laughs> I need a video. Um, <laughs> you let the piece dry completely, and then you take black. It's called underglaze. And it's just like paint. You take black paint and put it over that area. And so what happens is because the wax is there, it only saturates those fine lines. So it inlays that black paint inlays into those lines. And then you take a sponge and wipe off the excess, and then you're just left with those really fine lines. At what point does the wax come off? So the uh, first time that you fire the piece, it's called a bisque firing, it burns off then. Oh, okay. So it just burns away. Yeah, it just burns off. And that first firing is for, you don't have to do it. It makes it easier when you do that firing and the pieces come out porous like a terracotta pot. And then that at that stage is when you apply the glaze. So it, the piece is porous, so it'll absorb the glaze. Did you have a very creative childhood? Did you make a lot of stuff? Is that how you spent your time? I did. What did you like to do? Everything. I liked, I liked painting and I loved drawing and my my go-to still like if I'm having a bad day is I'll draw with crayons like, that's just like you know how people uh, yeah, have comfort I, food I like crayons too I love a, new, a fresh box of crayons that's actually a, me too. a like I love that especially the big box I'm like oh this is great mm-hmm. yeah I, with the crayon sharpener yes, yes. With the crayon sharpener, <laughs> sharpener. Mm-hmm. Yeah. love it so you know I just I did a lot of that as a kid my mom did a lot of folk painting she and my dad used to take us, like, on family vacations. We'd stop at artist studios. And my mom loved pottery, and we'd stop at a lot of potter studios. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this looks so cool. And then when I was in middle school, well, it was funny. I won a scholarship, and it was through the county. And they said I could either take a class at the Kalamazoo Math and Science Center, or I could take a class at the Kalamazoo Institute of Arts. And I was like, uh, what? <laughs> like, I'm going to take an art class. Yeah, I, yeah. I would not even have to think about it. I'm like, um, I forget the yeah. math. I'm, I yeah, some, yeah. So, oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's how I was. I was like, what? No, what? So I took a, a drawing and painting class that was in the summer. And then the next summer I took another one. And it was fun. But across the hall was the ceramic studio. And those kids looked like they were having a lot more fun because they were getting dirty. <laughs> and so they 
did. They look like they're so much fun. So then when I was 15, I finally took my first ceramics class, and it was amazing. It was so much fun. I was horrible, and I loved it. Isn't that great when you, you're horrible and you love it anyway? Yeah, then you know you've really struck on something that you're, you know, drawn to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then throughout high school, I took more classes at the Kalamazoo Institute of Arts. Well, this will explain why. When I was in high school, I was sitting at lunch with a group of my friends, and we were just going around talking about what we wanted to be when we grew up. And I said I wanted to be an artist, and one of my friends said, oh, well, you're too smart for that. You don't want to waste your brain. Oh, geez. Yeah, that really stuck with me because I was like, oh, well, I don't, but okay. So when I went to college, I was like, I want to be a gerontologist. I really love old people. So I started off as a biology major, and then um, my sophomore year, my dad, who is a retired hospital administrator, he sat me down before my sophomore year started and said, you know, I don't, I don't think you're going to like being a doctor. I think you might want to be an art major. And I was like, hmm, okay. <laughs> no, I know it sounds so funny. It's like, oh, this you know, this one conversation changed your life. But yeah, he basically told me, you know, it's okay to follow your passion. You know, if that's what you love, do it. Right. A lot of parents do the opposite of that. They say, no, I you know. don't want to be a, a potter. You want to be a doctor. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's, yeah. yeah, no, I think that's a wonderful gift that a parent can give a child and they can just say, it's okay to do, to follow your passion instead of trying to feel pressure to go into a really high earning career. Did you immediately change your major or what did you do after that conversation? Oh, I remember like the next day I went to the registrar's office and switched all my classes. And were you happier <laughs> immediately? I mean, how did you feel immediately after that? I, I did, but I'm not trying to like bum everyone out, but, but this is, you know, it's part of my whole story. So then four weeks into my sophomore year, my close friend was murdered on campus. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. That's horrible. Where where were you going to school? Kalamazoo College. I guess I don't remember that story. What year was that? That was October of 1999. That was a very difficult period in my life. I mean, understandably, of course. I never got the opportunity to really bask in that. Does that make sense? Oh, of course. I mean, that changes everything. Yeah. So was this someone you knew from high school or someone you had met in college? Actually, we did meet in high school and then we, we had both went to K and then we were actually teammates. We pl I played golf. I was on the golf team and so was, her name was Maggie Wardle. She was on the golf team as well. Oh, so, did they solve that yeah. case? It was her ex-boyfriend. He shot her, he murdered her on campus and then he killed himself. Oh, jeez. Yeah, that well, I'm so sorry that you had to lose a friend that way. That is just awful. Was the rest of your college experience, did it kind of have a haze over it because that happened at your school? I finished my sophomore year and then I went on study abroad um, to Germany. Oh, wow. Which I think really, that, yeah, that really helped to get out of the environment. When I was in Germany, I worked at an art museum, which was amazing. I worked at a, it was called, it's still around. It's called the Frauen, das Frauen Museum, which is the women's museum. That was so nice. They were all so nice to me. And then I was also able to meet 
my family that still lives in Germany. So, you know, some of my family that still lives there. It was just such a whirlwind of emotions those four years. And this is probably too personal, but I I don't care. So I'm like, I've been going to therapy the past year, still trying to deal with all of that because I pushed it down for so long. But this is good for me to talk about it. Yeah. So my friend Maggie was murdered. No, it's okay. Because this really influences my art and how I try and make every day special. Yeah, Yeah. And then... When I was a senior and I was working on my thesis, my brother's wife died. Oh, jeez. Um, she was only <laughs> she was yeah. only thirty eight. She was also very supportive of me in my art. Like she made me my first apron for ceramics. She actually did a lot of craft fairs, and I think seeing her be so successful at that was another way that I saw that, oh, you know, I really can do this. Like, I can make a living doing what I love. What made you decide that, to realize that you really need to kind of unpack some of that trauma from your college years? Basically, from the hip problem, when I fell, I hurt my hip and had hip surgery. And the recovery for that wasn't cut and dry. (laughs) It wasn't like I had hip surgery and then six months later I was fine. It didn't get better. My hip did, but I still was in a lot of pain. One could figure out why. Like my foot would go numb and my leg would go numb and it would go all the way up to um, my back at times. And, you know, I'm trying to run this business and I'm trying to remain positive. And what started to happen was I was trying to keep it all together. And I would start to cry just randomly and like for no, like for something that, you know, you wouldn't normally cry about. And then it started to happen like once a month. Like, okay, well, it's a monthly cry or whatever. And then it was like every Friday morning I would be crying. And I was talking, it's funny, um, I was talking to my chiropractor about it. And I was like, I just feel like I feel so beaten down. I can't do this anymore. And she was like, maybe you should go see a therapist. And I was like, yep, I think so. So. So I started last year. Like, I've always been the kind of person who tries to see the good in everything. I do think it's very important. But I wasn't allowing myself to grieve either. And that's very, that's very important, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it's necessary. I've allowed myself that time to grieve. I've allowed myself to be a human, <laughs> basically. Yeah, well, um, good for you that you're, yeah, because yeah. that does change everything. Do you feel better now? After kind of seeking, you know, some guidance in that area, is it has it made a, a a big difference for you? It some some days, yes. Some days, no. I mean, I know, you know, it's yeah. I mean, it's a process. Overall, yes, I'm glad I went. It is a process. It's hard to feel feelings. It well, it is, especially if you, if, especially if you went all those years without really addressing it. So, how what role does your art play in this um, kind of process for you? Well, see, that's interesting because the artwork changed before I I realized what was going on. And I think it's always kind of been that way for me. Like, that's always been how I express myself. Like, even when my friend was murdered, a lot of my work in college dealt with her uh, death. Like, my senior thesis was chairs, and it it was kind of based off the 
the Oklahoma City um, Memorial where they have all the empty chairs. And so I made a lot of chairs that had, because chairs can have a lot of characteristics like people. And so I kind of used that as like a memorial for my friend. About last year, when I was starting this crying weekly, I started making, I called it order and chaos pieces. And, you know, that's how those fine lines came to be, because I was the order. That was like me keeping it together. And then I would juxtapose these like very painterly brush strokes of glaze, which was the chaos. And they would be together on one piece. And I mean, that kind of basically sums up life, right? Right. Yeah. You know, people see a mug and they're like, oh, it's so pretty. And I always tell people there's always a story behind it. Like, you know, I might not tell everyone the story, but to me, there's always meaning behind it. Well, that's the thing about art, too, though, is the artist usually has an intention for it. And it might be something entirely different for the person who ends up purchasing that work because they bring their own meaning to it. You know, sometimes it is something just as simple as making you smile, like bright colors with a little fun design. And that's okay, too. It doesn't all have to be this gut-wrenching emotion. It can just be a simple little piece. Now, have you always worked with really bright colors? It's funny. When I try and do more subdued colors, they don't sell. Interesting. Um, Yeah, and I... Like, I'll do some black and white things, but I always say black is a color, too. I did, for a little while, wood-fired pottery, which is, like, browns and um, golds and earth tones. And I liked it, but I kept saying to myself, hmm, I wonder what this would look like with red. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I always wanted to, like, add a little color to it. So, And that's what I find now, even now. Even with the colors I use now, I... I think, hmm, you know, I should make some more colors. And I used, like, when I used to have even a wider palette, and I had to kind of tone it down because it was hard to keep track of everything. Well, it sounds like the rainbow is kind of your palette right now um, from looking at. It is. I love the rainbow. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And it's, well, it's funny because as a kid, I mean, I watched the Care Bears, man. I read the books and I drew rainbows on everything, you know, so. I think that's what it's from. I really do. Yeah, no, seriously. I think like, yeah, like in the 80s, like we were all drawing rainbows and um, yeah. And it was like a huge thing. And um, you would always draw the colors in order too of the rainbow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I always loved black because it made the colors pop more. Right. Yeah. So it's. Yeah. Yeah. I'm totally a child of the 80s. Well, I'm interested in your business now. And you were going through your fall, you said, was in 2013. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Oh, no, no, no. No, 2000. Well, the surgery. I fell in 2011. Oh, wow. And then you went to, oh, my gosh. Jeez. Okay, two years later. Okay, and then 2013 was your surgery. One of the things I, I'm curious about, too, and this is kind of going back to your your experience at, at in, in college with um, art school. And so did you, you graduate with an art degree then? Is that how this worked? Yeah. Okay. Yes. I have, yeah, I have a BA in fine arts and art history. Okay. And so when you were in school, did they teach you anything, like you and your peers, did they teach you guys anything about how to sell your work and make a living off your art? No. I think art schools are starting to do that. Like they should have probably been doing that all along um, because it's kind of key to making a living as an artist. But so how did you sort that out uh, as you tried? And when did you start doing shows yourself? 
well, when I was in college, it was kind of like if you tried to actually sell work and make a living, you were selling out. I don't know if people oh, used to say yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. No, no I You remember that? that? Oh, yeah, oh remember they're that. selling yeah. out. Yeah, so what was the? What were you supposed like, to no, be? I'm trying to eat. So what, what were they teaching you to do? Since they were not teaching you to sell your work, what were you supposed to be doing? Trying to get it in a museum or something? Or yeah, I was supposed to make sculptural ceramic, which is fine. I am not, you know, I'm not making fun of this at all. Sculptural ceramics and get an MFA in ceramics and then go on to teach ceramics at the college level, which is fine. It is, but that's not what I wanted. And so what I did when I was in college, uh, part of my sophomore year and then between my sophomore year and my junior year is I apprenticed for another potter. I actually learned more working for him than I did in school. And, you know, he said to me, I remember him saying, well, what do you want to do when you graduate? And I said, well, I want to be like you. And he said, well, you know, you might have to become a a teacher. I was like, dang it. Stop (laughs) with this teaching. Not that I am opposed to teaching. I'm not. I really enjoy teaching. But I wanted to make stuff every day. (laughs) Right. No, I hear you. Um, and so I was like, okay. Uh, and then when I graduated, I was like, well, I don't know what to do. I, I guess I, I'll try and get a job. Like I had a job at a pizza place and I ran a coffee shop and I was like, I guess I'll get a desk job. I couldn't get one. I didn't even know how to get one. <laughs> so, so funny looking back. I was an assistant to the technician at the Kalamazoo Institute of Arts and that gave me studio space. So I had to work there so many hours a week, and then I got access to clay and glaze and the kilns. So my first show was in the summer of 2005. I'm going to tell you the truth. I didn't even make it to my first show. I overloaded the Jeep, and (laughs) I couldn't drive it. So I didn't even make it. No, it's it's fine. So what would you do? called him and said I wouldn't be able to make it oh boy I didn't go yeah and then when did what was your next show after that and then and then I cried and ate a pizza and felt better (laughs) (laughs) pizza is magical sometimes you know it is so then my next show was two weeks later I did make it to that successfully and it's funny because so that was like my first show I did and then that show I had my work stolen oh no how much of it was stolen? Oh, about $300 worth. Oh, jeez. So it was like a two-day show or something where you leave work mm-hmm. there? Oh, yeah. I am always, mm-hmm. I always, I look like a real jerk because when I do a show like that, I pack up a lot of my stuff and I take it with me. But then the other That's vendors okay. look at me, other vendors look at me like, okay, you don't trust us. And it's not the vendors. It's, I'm just like, I don't know who's going to have access to this space. So you probably didn't have insurance at that point because you're it's early in your, or did you? I didn't. Um, so yeah, so that happened. I mean, just this is a funny side note, but my dad always tells me if I didn't have bad luck, I wouldn't have any luck. Oh and, no! <laughs> oh, geez. And he's not being mean. He's just he's, he's just trying to an you know make light of the situation. Yeah. 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 Oh my word. <laughs> Yeah, but I read somewhere on your website that he also gave you the advice to buy insurance, though, too. Oh, yeah. Or I read somewhere yeah. in an interview yes. that you did. Yeah. Yes, and I, I haven't, yes, I am pro-insurance. So yeah. Yes, I have insurance. Yeah, and for people out there that do shows and don't have insurance, 
is this a significant investment for you or how do you? Um... No, no, it's not that much. I have no like affiliation with any insurance company, but I used to have my policy with State Farm and they have a craft show policy that you just add on and it's not very expensive, but it only goes up to for so much money. So this is good and bad. Once you hit a certain amount of money that you make, you, I had to switch, like they dropped me because they said I was too big. So now I have insurance through a, another local insurance agent. You probably feel a little more at ease now knowing that if you, you know, someone does swipe something, it's not just a loss for you. Mm-hmm, because let's see, um, I was at one show and my display blew over. It was a, like a, and I just filed a claim. That was nice. And then, like a lot of times, because sometimes I do wholesale shows and they actually want copies of your insurance before they'll even let you do the show. It's just nice because in Michigan, especially if you do shows along the lake shore, it gets really windy. And if you're selling pottery, mm-hmm. it's a I used to get for so disaster. anxious. Yeah. Yeah. And now I'm like, oh, well. I mean, I'm not reckless by any means but it's just <laughs> i'm not like you know oh well, let's see what was... happens yeah because yeah. <laughs> i mean i want my insurance company to keep insuring me right uh, right because there probably comes a point where if you have 50 claims they're like okay yeah are you i mean yeah so setting up in a wind I've been tunnel in business exactly i've been in business um full time for 11 years i've only had one claim so i'm still yeah <laughs> no, that's, that's good that's good though yeah, yeah, but yeah, I would recommend getting insurance. So did definitely. you did you start out uh, working out of your house at one point? I was working at the KIA, and I was working for this other potter, and then I had done a couple shows in the summer, that past summer, and it, this was December of 2015. This is a weird habit of mine, remembering dates. Uh, <laughs> I was at work, and I asked my boss if I could leave early. And I had never left early before because someone had ordered some mugs for Christmas and I wanted to meet them. And he said to me, no, because my work is more important than your work. Whoa. And in my head, I was like, I'm done. And I went back in the next day and I was like, um, I, it's time for me to leave. So I let him hire someone else and help train my replacement. And I left. So you have over 10 years of experience on your own doing your thing. And did you start working out of where you were living when you first started? I lived about four miles away from my parents. And they had an old chicken coop that they just used to store their lawnmower. And so I said, well, could you store your lawnmower maybe in like half of it and I could use the other half? And my dad said, sure. And this is so funny. It was so rough that when it snowed, it would snow into the building. Oh. <laughs> there were days when I would get there and have to shovel the snow out. Oh, my gosh. And I thought it was the best thing in the world. You know, because it was my own space. And I was doing what I wanted. And I had a little wood stove. When at night, it would go out. And if it got too cold, my pots would freeze and they'd crack and I'd have to start over. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> a couple of years later, I said, I think I could have the whole chicken coop. 
He said, well, because they also had a garage. He said, yeah, I could put the lawnmower in the garage. So then they let me use the whole chicken coop. And then at that point, I um, put up, like, insulation and drywall and got new doors and all that so it wasn't snowing inside anymore. And I got a, a little propane heater so I could, you know, at night it, the pots wouldn't freeze. I was lucky because that whole time I had a good friend who had a kiln and he wasn't using it, so he let me use his kiln. I stayed at the chicken coop and then he, my friend, wanted his kiln back, so then I bought a couple electric kilns. And it was just, this chicken coop is tiny. It's only 400 square feet. So I had, you know, I was making all my work there and then I was keeping all my display and some of my inventory in my garage and then I had some other inventory in my parents I mean it was just a mess and then like I'd still have to do all my computer work at home so then I'd have to set up like a photo you know photos to do sometimes I would take them at home sometimes I would take them in the chicken coop a couple years ago I noticed that there was a veterinarian I knew there was a veterinarian clinic across the street from the chicken coop my parents house um, they don't live in the chicken coop. They live there and the chicken coop is there. It sounded right. like my parents live in a chicken coop. Well, I figured there wouldn't be room for them and your pottery. And, no, yeah. no, no, no. Yeah. And I'm figuring they would have so, shoveled the snow out before you got there probably if they lived in the chicken coop. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so <laughs> I noticed that the veterinarian clinic didn't seem to be open anymore. This was like two or three years ago. I was like, oh, that's weird. And so I emailed them and the veterinarian and I said, are you closed? Are you selling your building? Because there wasn't a for sale sign either. And he said that he was trying to sell it as a clinic. If I wanted to buy it as a clinic, I could. Well, first of all, I was like, I do not make that kind of money. I cannot buy that. (laughs) So then last spring, he emailed me and said he couldn't sell it as a clinic. And he had sold all his veterinarian equipment, and he wondered if I was still interested. And he had lowered the price. I talked to my partner, and I decided that it would be best for the business if we tried to buy it, the veterinary clinic. That's awesome. Yeah, it is. It's very stressful, but it's awesome. Um, (laughs) No, it's good, though. It's just another that whole denial thing, like, it's not going to be stressful, and then... Oh, it is. But um, so anyway, we closed on it in February. Well, congratulations. That's exciting. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And it's like two, it's 1700 square feet from 400. Oh, wow. Crazy. Yeah. Is it all one space inside or does it have rooms? It's still separated in rooms, like uh, Like a veterinary veterinary clinic. Yeah. But we are trying to figure out how we're going to make it into like one big room Um, because I would like to hopefully teach here in the studio because it's it's commercial space I can do pretty much whatever I want so are you right in downtown Plainwell or where is it no I'm in the country oh that's awesome it's in between Plainwell which is a little town and then Richland another little town so do you have studio time where people can can come in and buy things from you or yeah i'm open and this is so funny so my hours are very it's wednesday through friday one to four which everyone listening is like uh what or by appointment 
Okay. So, well, no, that's reasonable. Yeah, a lot of people just email me and say, can I come in? I'm like, yeah, sure. And I tell people a lot of times, like, if my van's here, you can stop. It's just I have to set up, you know, some boundaries because, like, when I do art fairs and I'm trying to, you know, get all that done, I can't just be open all the time. And maybe someday I will be able to, but... Because are you essentially a one-woman show, or do you have people that work with you? The main cast of characters is me, and then my dad. He helps me with a lot of the business, and he also makes my glazes for me. Oh, good for him. Um, I know. It's so funny, because people are like, oh, are you an artist? And he's like, no. (laughs) I've even asked him if he'd like to learn how to throw a pot, and he's like, someday. Like, Dad, you're 79. Like, I think you should, you know, (laughs) try it. (laughs) And then my brother will help. He helps a lot, too, and he does a lot of the packing and shipping of the pots. So So for you, how much time do you spend in your studio? Do you head there every day in the morning, or what is your typical day like for you? It's been hard to get back and do a routine after my surgery, which I hate because I, I, I like a routine. Right. Um, so I usually get up at 6. Before my surgery, I was getting up at 5.30 and going swimming uh, at 6 in the morning. Did you swim in high school? I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. I wouldn't have survived high school without the swim team. Like that was a big reason why I went to school, I think. <laughs> I was, yeah. So I could qualify yeah. to be on the swim team. Yeah, no, I love swimming so much. Yeah. And like, I feel like swimming... I always say you can take the person out of the pool, but you can't take the pool out of the person. Yeah, no, I just seeing the pool is just so relaxing to me. Just I like anytime I'm by water, I feel relaxed, but I don't do open water swimming. I don't like when I can't see the bottom and people uh will be like, oh, it's so boring to follow a black line. I'm like, no, for me, that's like a certainty. It's like the black line is right there. I'm just going to swim back and forth. Like meditating. I think it's fantastic. So you try to get to the pool if you can, and then um, yeah, head yeah. into the studio. This is so dorky, but I'll tell you. Um, <laughs> I really like learning foreign languages. Oh, good! <laughs> and because I spent time in Germany, I don't want to like lose it. So I try and do a German language lesson in the morning, and sometimes I'll do a Spanish one. And before. <laughs> This is, this is like my hobby. Um, before no, I had gallbladder surgery, yeah, I was trying to teach myself Chinese. <laughs> That's actually super relevant because everything is coming from China. So I think for a international perspective, so, it's actually really good to know Chinese. I think. So I'll do that, and then um, I eat breakfast, and then I try to get I get to the studio anywhere. Well, I'm in PT right now. Like my foot wouldn't work right, and I think that was from my hip for so long. Um, but it's getting better. So depending on the day, I have PT at seven thirty. I'll head to the studio anywhere between eight and nine, and then I usually will stop at my parents' house and have tea with them in the morning. Oh, that's nice. And then yeah, and then I'll head to the studio and start. It's part of your daily routine. You see your family. That's that's really nice. It yeah. sounds like they support your work, which um, by, you know, housing the studio at times and they've been through all the phases of, of this business with you. 
Yeah, my family's very supportive. I have two brothers and two sisters, and so they've all helped in one way or another, like doing things at the studio. My sisters will help me do shows. They'll help me clean. My brothers will help me do shows. They've helped me with electricity, running electricity, helping me paint my signs. I mean, you name it. That's so cool. Now, where are you in the lineup of kids? I'm the youngest of five. Okay. So, yeah. I, so you're the little my sister. Parents had me, yeah. yeah, my parents had me in their 40s, so I kind of think, too, that they, like, the whole, my dad, like, being an artist thing, he's kind of like, man, whatever, you know, like, <laughs> I've raised five, <laughs> like, just, you, you know what I mean? Like, I think as you age, you kind of figure things out. Yeah. Because they, oh, all, yeah. they often tell me, like, my siblings they had in their 20s, they raised differently than me because they were different people. Do you do shows on a regular basis or do you sell things wholesale? I do art fairs. I took the summer off from art fairs, which actually turned out to be good since I had to have surgery. I'm going to try and do some this fall, some art fairs. I usually only do like one a month. I've tried doing more. And for me, I have found that if I just focus on doing one, like a good show that I I do better than trying to do like three shows in a month that are Mm -hmm. smaller. Right. Um, so, I, so yeah, so I only do one a month. And then I sell wholesale. I'm on Etsy wholesale and, you know, word of mouth. I haven't done a wholesale show in a couple of years, but I used to do wholesale shows out east. I have an online store. I have my own store and I have an Etsy store. And then I also am on Artful Home, which is another platform. I'll sell your work. And then I do, I just started doing this thing this year. I do the farmer's market in Kalamazoo. I've heard that that's really good. It's so much fun. It's so funny because I've done like all these like, you know, kind of fancy shows. And then I'm doing the farmer's market. It's so much fun. It is so laid back. (laughs) Is that the Thursday night market? So they have a night market, which is the third Thursday of the month, and that's June through September. And then I'm I'm doing that, and then I just call them, say, oh, do you have a spot on Saturday? And I've been doing some Saturday markets, and that's 7 in the morning till about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And there, it's so much I because I love being outside. Like, that's the one thing. People are like, oh, you know, you sit outside all the time. I love that. I love sitting outside so doing a show outside for me is like that's fantastic so it's really nice just to get out of the studio and be outside but you find that at the farmer's market these pieces are selling which is an interesting dynamic at a farmer's market what do you think it is about that I mean some people I will be honest some people will balk at my price they have they'll say $35 for a mug I'm like I know right what is she thinking I still can't believe I sell mugs for $35, but I have to because they're worth it. And I sell wholesale too. And I can't, you know, I have to wholesale half of that. Right. And so I have to keep it at 35. And I tell people, I explain, I say, you know, I know to some people it's a lot of money, but these are handmade. I make the clay, I make the glaze. Those are my illustrations totally worth it you know exactly where it's coming from and I just explain it to some people is everyone has priorities right like some people will spend a hundred thousand dollars on a car some people won't it's you know what I mean it's it's like that and I don't I, I just try not to take it personally 
So, but I think they do so well because I'm near a lady that does cold brew coffee and then there's a lady that Sarkozy's Bakery, which is a well-known bakery in Kalamazoo, and it, they're more artisanal things. So I think a lot of the people that come down there know they're going to pay a little more, but they know where it's coming from, and that's important to them. So are your mugs your best sellers at the farmer's market? Yeah, my mugs are my best seller everywhere. Sometimes I say I don't even know why I make anything else. Because oh, really? Because it's all about the I, mugs. Yeah. yeah. Like I do designs with animals riding bikes, and I, I really... I love how people will come up and they'll say, oh, that's so cute. Like, so-and-so has a dog and they like to ride bikes. I should get it for them. And I really like the idea of people giving my work as gifts and, you know, they say, I saw this and it made me think of you. It's just so sweet. I think it is. I'm still a little part of their story, even though I'm not even there. Yeah, that's really fun. And it sounds like you enjoy connecting with the other is it, it sounds like it's kind of a social event, too, on the Thursday nights in Kalamazoo. When I started working for myself, it was really hard because I had been down at the Kalamazoo Institute of Arts and there were people around all the time and, you know, everyone was talking. And then, you know, I was like, oh, I just need my own studio where I don't have to talk to anyone. No one asked me questions. And then I had it and I was like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, I miss people. Right. So, you know, but it was at my parents' house, so they were retired, and I could talk to them, and then, like, my siblings would stop, and people would stop, their friends, right? And now I've moved across the street. It's just me. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, I like socializing. I didn't realize how much I enjoyed it. So it's nice to get out of the studio and talk with people. Yeah. I used to always say that, like, the older artists, when I'd go and talk to them, they'd never let me leave their studios because they were lonely. And now it's like, oh, now you know where they're coming from. I'm like, I do. I shouldn't have never said that. <laughs> right. Uh, where do you see yourself going next? It sounds like you want to get your studio space to be a place where you could host classes. At, is that your, your yeah, next goal? Yeah, I do. Yeah, so I want to be able to host not necessarily – so I want to teach some business classes. Because it's so, people ask me more about business things. And I'm like, really? I can teach you this. And I love helping people. And then I would like to do workshops, like have people come in and teach like a weekend workshop. It's hard for me to teach ceramics because ceramics breaks. And it's it's hard. A lot of people don't understand. Like you put your soul into it and then it blows up. I can deal with that. That's fine. But a lot of people can't. And I always tell people that my studio is my happy space. You know, it's my happy place. I can't deal with that drama, for lack of a better term. So I'm not sure if I'll teach ceramics classes. Plus, the thing is, I do slip casting. A lot of people don't want to learn that. They just want to learn to throw on the wheel, which is fine. I totally understand the draw to that. Um, But I don't have a bunch of potter's wheels. so. Um, so I'm not sure about that. You're on several platforms. How do you manage that? How do you, do you have a routine where every day you're checking to see what, if anything sold in each spot, or do you get alerts on your phone or how do you manage that multiple platform sales? That's a good question. So I am anti notifications on my phone. The only, like my phone will ring, you know, if someone's calling, it will make a noise if I get a text. And that's it. I have disabled all other notifications, which might sound crazy to some people, but 
I always say my phone is for my convenience, not for everyone else's. So I have I've learned that what's best for me is to turn every turn all the notifications off and then just check it periodically throughout the day. I just check my email and then I'll know if I've sold anything on Etsy or my own, my own on my I have a Shopify store so on Shopify or on Artful Home. But but because I do that though, sometimes I do take the risk like a lot of times I'll miss messages on Instagram or Facebook. I just explain, you know, like I'm sorry I missed your message. I mean, you can only do so much. Just to tell everyone, this past month, I was I was talking to my dad, and I was like, maybe I should discontinue my Shopify store and just have my Etsy store, because it would be easier. Because I, I think a lot of times people will hear me or other people say, oh, I have an Etsy store and a Shopify store and an Artful Home, and they're like, oh my gosh, I need to do that too. No, you don't. <laughs> you have to, you just do what you want to do. It'll all work out. <laughs> Really, you don't need more, more, more. It'll it'll be all right. What advice do you have? Just if there's one thing you wish you would have known at the beginning of your journey as a handmade um, business owner, um, what what could you like to pass on to people? I would like to tell everyone: you listen to your gut. There are going to be so many people that come around and try and give you advice on what to do. But only you know what's best for you when it comes to designs and how to run your business. And a lot of people like to say, you should do this and you should do that. And that's great. But if you don't want to do it, don't do it. <laughs> I mean, there's, you know, there's certain things you have to do, like pay your taxes. But if you're making a decision in your business, because I've done this where I'd be like, well, you know, I'll do this X, Y, and Z to make this money. And it always comes back, like, either I hate it and I'm not happy, or it comes back to bite me in the butt. Just believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. That's what I'm trying to say. And you can do it. I always tell people, if I can do it, you can do it. Because I have made so many mistakes and learned from them. It all works out. You like mugs? Do you drink out of one of uh, a unicorn mug every day, or what does your mug look like that you like to drink? Oh, tea unicorn out of? mug. Yeah, what do you like to drink out of? What does your mug look like? The one you drink your tea out of. Well, you know, it's funny. I usually drink out of a tumbler. Oh yeah. Is that funny? I don't usually. I mean, I make tumblers. I don't. I usually, yeah, because I I like to hold it with my hand. I mean, I have some of my mugs, um, and I will use them. But I usually just use a, a tumbler for my tea or, and I have, you know, I have my, I have some that, you know, that I've made and I have other potters. I'm not opposed to using other potters work. <laughs> I love ceramics. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. <laughs> and is there, a, is the potters, like the community of potters in West Michigan pretty tight? Like, are you in a guild or anything or? I used to meet, there's uh, the West Michigan Potters Guild. I used to be a member of that. It's grown a lot. I think there's like 70 members. I don't really have time for that or the energy, so I'm not a part of that anymore. Uh, But I still know, like I know a lot of potters. I always say if you meet a potter and they're not nice, like something's not right. Because most most potters are like very down-to-earth, very helpful, it's like if I ever, there's a pot, the potter even that I apprentice for that's about 
three miles from here. In December, I ran out of an ingredient to make glaze and I called him, you know, it's like, give a cup of sugar. I needed five pounds. And he's like, oh yeah, just come over and I'll give you some. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And thanks again for your time today. I really appreciate it. Oh, no, thank you, Jennifer. It was great talking with you. A special thanks to Heidi for being on the show. I really appreciated having her as a guest and I enjoyed talking to her. I hope you folks enjoyed our conversation as well. This is a great reminder to all of us to just keep making stuff. No matter how difficult times get, it's good to try to keep some momentum going. You know, give yourself the space to deal with whatever you're dealing with, because we all are dealing with stuff. Give yourself the space to, whether it's you need to heal, you need to grieve, you need whatever you're going through, give yourself that space. But don't box up your supplies. Have them at the ready so you can jump right back in when you feel ready. I want to take a moment to once again thank my Patreon sponsors for keeping this show going. Thank you so much for just coming along on the ride with me. I really do appreciate that. And if you're interested in sponsoring an upcoming episode, just email me. It's jennifer at craftsanity.com. And if you want to chat with me in person, I will be vending my line of the new Craft Sanity Kindred Looms. I will be at the Wine and Wool Festival at Sand Hill Crane Vineyards in Jackson on Saturday, July 29th from 10 a.m. to 5, and then I will be at the Michigan Fiber Festival at the Allegan County Fairgrounds August 19th and 20th, and you can uh, also check out the new looms in the Etsy shop. I uh, just wove a poncho on the newest loom in the collection. It's a triangle loom. I have about four different triangle designs. I've released two. They make banners, little um, banner looms in two sizes, and then I have a loom that makes really cool stocking caps, and that one is soon to be released. I'll have that one at the upcoming shows. And then I also have the triangle loom that is kind of my spin on a product that's been out there. And what I'm doing differently is I like to kind of create more of a watercolor effect by weaving. My method that I use is a little bit slower than some of the other triangle weaving methods out there, but I'm really happy with the results. So yeah, stop on by these shows if you want to. And if you're interested in, you know, just having me come out and teach a workshop, get in touch as well, because I will be booking some weaving uh, workshop experiences here in West Michigan and in some outlying areas as well. So Jennifer at craftsanity.com is the email address. So get in touch if you're interested. All right. I am headed across the state to go to my nephew's birthday party. So I need to get going. I'll be back soon with another episode of the podcast. In the meantime, Craft Sanity, my friends, it works for me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Craft Sanity podcast. To support the show, click the Patreon link at craftsanity.com to donate $1 a month or buy a handmade loom or magazine at craftsanity.etsy.com. Same time.